Amen. You can be seated in Jesus' name. I am so glad to be here this morning. I'm sorry that I brought Winter with me. I was really, 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 really looking forward to being here when it was two degrees back in Ohio. And I looked on the weather app and it was going to be 20 and I said, why? Why, Lord? The one weekend that I choose to come down, why? But I'm very excited to be here. I know uh, many of you probably don't know me. Maybe you do uh, a little bit. I'm, my name is Michael Oldfield. I'm the lead pastor of the Potter's House globally. And uh, my wife and I have just started in this role uh, the 1st of September. And so this year, one of my goals is to get around to all of our campuses and to, uh, to preach and to see the people that we have the opportunity to lead. And you have phenomenal local leaders here in this church, and Pastor Lyle and Rose and Chris. Will you let them know you love them this morning? And I am, I'm very excited that I get to spend a little bit of time today with, uh, with you all. And I know when I was here last, I met Rose. I met Chris. And I've known this Chris for a very long time, uh, and I've known Lyle for the better part of the last uh, year and a half, two years, and uh, it's been a great honor to get to know you. I, I loaded a picture up in the computer because I'm not, I, you know, you may see me maybe once, twice a year here or through online, and I just, I want to introduce myself properly uh, before I preach this morning because I believe that you hear better in relationship. I believe when you know somebody, you hear better from them. And so can you guys throw that picture up? I want to introduce my family. Uh, that is my wife, uh, my oldest daughter, who is right in front of me to the right. That is Jocelyn Gale. Uh, she is a firecracker, to say the least. Uh, she is dramatic. She is sassy. She is five, going on 15. And uh, the Lord has given us grace. The middle one there, just like the middle in our order, is Gwen Mariah. Uh, she is two. She's going to be three next month, and she is a bulldozer. Uh, the one is a firecracker. The other one's a bulldozer. She doesn't take mess from anybody. If you try to come at her, you're going to get caught. And the boy there on the end is our foster son, Tobin. And we are praying that by the end of this year, we'll be able to adopt him uh, and that he will be our boy forever. I love him. Amen. Uh, and he's a miracle to our family. Uh, and he knew the Lord knew exactly what we needed. We got him when he was three days old, and uh, and he had no father. Well, he had a father, but they didn't know who the father was. Uh, the mother was in trouble, and the Lord gave us him a promise from the Lord. I don't have time to go into all of it, but it's a promise from the Lord to us. Uh, and that's my boy, and he's going to prophesy in Jesus' name. And uh, so. I wanted to introduce my family to you. I know y'all already know my dad. He was down here not long ago, uh, and he wanted to come, but I told him, no, you have to stay and preach for me this morning uh, back in the Columbus campus. And so if you got your Bible, I want you to go to Luke chapter 24. I have no notes this morning, which is dangerous. Um, so we're just going to fly with it, all right? But I, I've, um, I'm currently studying uh, at a university, and this... Uh, past week has been all about the book of Luke and Acts. Uh, if you don't, if you're not a student of the Bible, you may not know that Luke wrote both Luke and Acts. Uh, some scholars believe that Acts was actually written first, and then Luke was written. And um, and as I was studying this and going through it, this this passage of scripture caught my attention, and it's in Luke chapter 24. If you've got your Bible, Luke 24. Can I turn this mic down just a touch? Luke 24, we're going to be in verse 46. Luke 24, verse 46. And then if you want to, you can stick your finger in Acts chapter 1. And we're going to flip over there in a minute. But Luke chapter 24, verse 46. And this is what the word said. Then he said to them, thus it is written, it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, 
But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Go to Acts chapter 1 quickly. Acts chapter 1 quickly. Verse 4 beginning. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, you've got to understand something. I'm, I'm beginning to realize, we're going to read these last, we're going to read verses 7 and 8, but I'm beginning to realize, and this is going to sound really profound, people are people. Okay? People are people. What I mean by that is, the psych psychological makeup of people has not changed. Jesus had three and a half years every day, every hour with these disciples. And he told them, no man knows the day or the hour. The kingdom of God is already at hand. And for three and a half years, he died. He told them, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. They didn't believe him. And now he's spoken his whole message. And right before he leaves, he said, will you now at this time restore Israel? As if they didn't understand this whole three and a half years they've been through is training for them to go out and advance God's kingdom in the earth. So, so sometimes we are as dumb as the disciples are. God has been training us. God has been speaking and we're asking questions that he's already answered. Okay. I'm glad you're with me. Verse 7. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times. Or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. This is probably the third or fourth time he has told them this. Anybody got kids in the room? Have children, grandchildren? You know how it is? I just showed you my family. To each of them, it, I never have to say something one time. I never have to say something one time. I've got to tell them at least three times. Before it connects from their brain to their heart what they ought to do. Jesus is the same. Verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Father, I ask you today that you would help us in your word. And I pray that you would help us to live boldly for you. Lord, help us to be the witnesses that you have called us to be. In this day and time, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen. Uh, one of the things that I realize when I look into the scripture and when I put the scripture of the Bible on top of, and I overlay it on top of our society today, one of the things that I recognize is that we are living in the last days. We are living in days that at any moment we could hear the trumpet of God sound from heaven. And he will come to retrieve his bride from the earth to be with him forever. I, I recognize that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is in prison and he is writing these pastoral messages to Timothy. And he tells them, he tells Timothy, he said, this know also that in the last days perilous times would come. That men would be lovers of their own selves. Have we seen that in our day? Men will be lovers of their own selves, proud, boastful, arrogant, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. I said without natural affection. That there would be an agenda on the earth today and in the last days that would, that would approve unnatural affections. And I, I've come to this realization, if anything, over the last two years, is that if they can't change the truth, they'll shame the truth. Amen. If they can't change the definition of truth, they will shame you for calling something truth. And there is only one truth, and it is the Word of God. Amen. It is the absolute truth of the Word of God. Amen. Without natural affection, then he would go on and say, truce breakers, false accusers, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but 
denying the power thereof. And he said, from such turn away. Now, I imagine in the beautiful state of Florida, where it is summer almost year-round, that you guys see this more than we do. But come June or May in Ohio, uh, people start to love pleasure more than they love God. And they start to skip church. And they start to skip prayer. And they start to miss out on the things that they had dedicated to God in the winter when nobody wants to be outside. But then the weather got nice and all of a sudden their priorities shifted. And we become a society who loves pleasure rather than loving God. And, and the, the Apostle Paul said from such, get up and run as far away as you can. The Bible would also say in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that in the last days that, that many people would rise up and have their conscience seared with a hot iron. That they would turn away from the truth and be turned unto fables. And I'm telling you, one of the things that I'm recognizing about America and about the world today is the world hates truth. We are more offended by truth than we are by the consequences of sin. We are more offended by the truth of God's word than we are the consequence of the sin that we're living in. We're more offended by correction. By correction. And one of the things that I recognize about preaching is that I'm not preaching to your flesh. I'm not preaching to you in the body, the flesh, the blood. I'm preaching to your spirit. And the word of God has the ability to pierce where the eye of man cannot see and offend you. So if I offend you today, I'm not offending your flesh. I'm offending your spirit because you've grown lack in you've grown slack in your pursuit of God. So we're living in the last days. We're living in times that were prophesied of old. And so here we come to our text today in Luke chapter 24 where Jesus said these words. And this is, this is I think, about this scripture. There are several things that grabbed me, and this was one of them. If you read Luke 24, you recognize that Jesus has risen from the grave. Uh, he has walked seven and a half miles with two disciples that are unnamed. He has opened up the scriptures with them, starting at Moses and leading up to himself. And then he comes to this moment where he is in the house of, he's in Emmaus in a house. And the Bible said that he broke bread, blessed, gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they knew who he was and he disappeared out of their sight. So now, and, and you've got to understand something about this, this, I should spend a little bit more time here in Luke 24 because these disciples of Emmaus knew him. They saw him do miracles. They heard, they heard the words of the prophet that Jesus, the Messiah, would come and he would be crucified. And again, on the third day, he would raise himself up. Amen. And the disciples are downtrodden and Jesus comes walking along. And the Bible said their eyes were holding that they should not see him and know who he was. And they said, Jesus said, why are you so sad? And, and the disciples said, did you not know Jesus? Think about this. Jesus is standing right next to them. And they're like, did you not know him? And even, like, that's a dumb question in and of itself. Multiply that times like three. Because then they said, he was beaten. He was whipped. He was put on a cross. Like, Jesus doesn't know that these things just happened to him. Three days ago, these things just happened to him. And Jesus makes this statement. He said, oh, fools. You are slow of heart to believe. All the things the prophets have said. And he comes in this moment where he reinstalled belief into these disciples. And then he comes to verse 46 and he says this thing. And this is what grabbed me about this scripture. Thus it is written and thus it was necessary. Somebody say necessary. necessary. Thus it was written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. So it was written and it was necessary. So I begin to think about that. Why? Why was his death necessary? Why did God send his son to die and necessitate that he must die for the sins of the people? I begin to, to go back in the Bible and I begin to realize in the beginning God created the heavens. And the earth, Genesis 1. In Genesis 2, or rather in Genesis 1 and 25, 
the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost are having a council meeting. And they said to one another, let us create man in our own image. And in the image of God, he created them. And God created the garden for man. God created the garden as a place where God and man could dwell together. Where it was unrestricted access. Read your Bible. It said they walked with God in the cool of the day. They supped with God. They talked with God. They walked with God. There was unbroken communion between man and God. And then the devil decided he was going to sneak in like a serpent. And he was going to rob man, not God. He was going to rob man of their access to God. This is why, let me help stay here for a minute. This is why we need the gift of discerning of spirits in the body of Christ. Because the serpent was not out of place in the garden. The serpent belonged in the garden. The serpent was not out of place. And, and the devil is not going to show up like some scary dragon breathing fire everywhere. He's going to show up underneath the surface to the point that you think he belongs. But he's going to trick you into sin that separates us from God. And so God saw in the beginning that Adam and Eve sinned, the aid of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is what God told them they couldn't have. I mean, literally, I tell you, people are people. We love to get the things that people tell us you can't have. I'm telling you, there is like this, this psychological makeup of rules are made to be broken. Right? Like, y'all ever heard that? Rules are made to be broken. That's like a psychological makeup of people. And Adam and Eve, in the same way that the serpent came, deceived them, they snatched the apple away. They, they snatched, and, 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 and when they took a bite of the apple, it wasn't just an apple, it was sin. Come on. How many of y'all like apples? I love apples, right? There are certain things I love, but because God has put the conviction of the Holy Spirit on me, that is sin to me. I love apples. And there are certain things like apples that I like, but God has said you've got to stay away from that. We have every other tree in the garden. Adam and Eve couldn't stay away from the one that God said to stay away from. So, so God... Saul, there's now separation. What happened? Adam and Eve knew they were naked. I'm always fascinated by that scripture because nakedness was never in the vocabulary of man until they sinned. There was no shame in nakedness until sin came. And so what did they do? See, because this is just like, man, I'm going somewhere. I have no notes. I've got them right here. And they're coming as the Holy Ghost says them. Okay. It's terrifying. Adam and Eve, just like us, listen, the Bible said, they sewed together for themselves fig leaves and aprons. So now they knew they were naked. They grabbed fig leaves. They tied them together and create garments for themselves. Okay. So just like man today, when we sin, we hide our sin. Mm -hmm. Adam and Eve hid their sin from God. Now, how dumb is that? <laughs> you can't hide sin from God. So, so they put an apron on, tie it together, and then let's double our efforts to hide. The Bible says they sewed together fig leaves and aprons and they hid in the trees. To try to camouflage themselves from God. And God came walking in the cool of the garden as he always did. Knowing what had happened. He said, where are you? God knew where they were. Where are you? Because God is not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. Where are you? And Adam said, we hid ourselves. How many of you... Understand that when you sin, the shame that comes with sin 
causes you to want to hide yourself from God. Because we, we have taught a gospel that God is a judgmental God and he's going to strike you with lightning. Well, there is coming a day when we'll stand before the judgment seat. And he will be the righteous judge. But we are in a dispensation of grace where there is no sin that cannot be covered. And he comes looking and he says, where are you? Adam said, we hid ourselves because we were naked. Who told you you were naked? And now God goes through the litany telling them now because of sin, I now have to separate you. I, I now have to pull away from you because I am a holy God. And I cannot dwell with people who are in sin. I'm a holy God. And so I've got to separate from you and I'm going to cast you out from the garden. Are you listening? I'm going to cast you out of communion. I'm going to remove you from my presence. I'm going to remove you from the privilege and the opportunity to walk with me, talk with me, know me, be with me. And I'm going to put a guard at the gate of Eden so no man can come in. So now Adam and Eve have to till the ground. Now there's pregnancy and labor pains. And now there's toiling and work that has to go on. And God recognizes that, that the people left to themselves will cause shame to the nation. And so on we go. We get into Exodus and God says these people need a law. And I'm going to give them the law, and I'm going to write it on tablets, and then I'm going to give it more to Moses. And, 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 and here's what's going to happen. It's going to be impossible for them to keep the law. Wow. So on the Day of Atonement, one day a year, they're going to bring a what? A lamb into the Holy of Holies, and they're going to sacrifice that lamb for the atonement of the sins of the people. The law was not made for us to keep a list of do's and don'ts. The law was made for us to recognize that we cannot please God by ourselves. Amen. We cannot keep his law in perfection on our own. That there had to be a lamb who was, who was slain and killed in order for us to be seen as right in the eyes of God. Amen. On and on and on. Through the Psalms, the Proverbs, through the prophets. Malachi comes and the prophet prophesies, I will send one, and he will come in the spirit of Elijah, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the sons, and the hearts of the sons back to the fathers. And then 400 years go by and there's nothing. 400 years go by, silence. Until. It's a baby. In the womb of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth gives birth and they call his name John. And one day John feels this urge in his spirit. Calling him away from the people. Calling him away from the city. And he goes to a place called the wilderness. Amen. And in the wilderness he begins to pray. He begins to fast. His diet was locust and honey. He was clothed in camel skin. The wilderness was hot. And John, in the wilderness, begins to prophesy, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is coming. Amen. I am a voice in the wilderness saying, prepare the way of the Lord. Amen. For 400 years there was nothing and God took a wild man out of the wilderness and put the spirit in his belly and in the wilderness he began to cry out, prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. And guess what happened? The first people that showed up, it wasn't the, it wasn't the government, it, it wasn't uh, uh, the music team. The first people that showed up were the Pharisees and we know about them. The first people that showed up to John's church were the religious people. The first people that showed up to John's church were the people that would crucify you if you spoke against the law. And the, the Pharisees showed up, and the first thing John the Baptist had to say to them was, you brood of vipers. 
Oh, I love it. I love John. John and I would have been good friends. The Pharisees showed up and he didn't tell them, hey, you guys are doing great keep of the law. He said, you are a brood of vipers. You are a pit of danger. You are a pit of poison. The Pharisees showed up. Then guess what? The tax collectors showed up. The money men showed up. And they wanted to tell John, John, this message is not going to get you money. This message is not going to make you rich. This message is not going to make you famous. This message is not going to make you big among the people. You've got to stop preaching like this. Oh, but something happened. Because John just kept preaching. I'm a voice in the wilderness preparing the way of the Lord. I'm a voice in the wilderness preparing the way of the Lord. And as he's preaching and the crowds begin to gather, something happens. The question of the Old Testament in every gathering, in every day of atonement, the question was, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the lamb that will atone for the people? And in John 1, 29, John is standing on the banks of the Jordan beyond the Bethabara, and he begins to preach, prepare the way of the Lord, and somewhere in his message, something begins to rise up in him, and he lifts up his eyes, and he sees coming over the hillside, Jesus, and he lifts up his voice, and he answers the question of the Old Testament, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You know what he did? He preached till the Pharisees showed up. He preached until the tax collector showed up. And then he preached until the body showed up. Amen. And John, Jesus came down to the Jordan. John said, I'm not worthy to baptize you. I'm not worthy to, to put you in the water. And Jesus said, you must do this. For in obedience is God. Righteousness is John baptizes him. John preached till the Pharisees showed up. He preached till the tax collectors showed up. He preached till the body of Christ showed up. And then guess who showed up? The Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Put him in the water. Took him out in a dove from heaven. Came and a voice saying, this is my son. In whom I am well pleased. So, so it was necessary that Christ should suffer and die. He, he is the lamb that the priests in the Old Testament were looking for. Hebrews 9.22 said, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And John said, Behold the Lamb of God and baptizes and Jesus goes out in the wilderness. Jesus comes preaching, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He then begins to tell his disciples, They're going to crucify me. I came, listen, Jesus came to die. Amen. His goal, his mission was to do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father was that Jesus could die. It was, everybody said necessary. Yes. It was necessary that Jesus would die so that God could restore in our day what was lost in Genesis 3. Amen. Communion with him, oneness with him, walking with him. And Jesus would live his life for 30 years. We, don't, we know that at the age of 12, he went into the temple and was teaching. And he told his parents, I'm doing the will of my father. And that's all we hear. Until the age of 30 in John chapter 2. When he shows up at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And his mother knowing what he could do says to him, they've run out of wine. They brought him water and he turned it into wine. And after that, miracle after miracle after miracle, can I tell you, Jesus came to die and he came to die for me and he came to die for you. Amen. Now, I'm preaching to the choir a little bit here because we're in church on Sunday morning. We're here on Sunday morning in church. But you know who else he came to die for? He came to die for them. Right. He came to die for them. Amen. He came to be a sacrifice for them. Do you know who killed Jesus? It wasn't the government. It was the Pharisees. The keepers of the law crucified him. Because he came and said, it's possible to live as a son of God and to be seen as the son of God. And he told him, I didn't come to destroy your law. I came to fulfill it. 
I'm the fulfillment of your law. And the religious people said, we can't have him around here. He's threatening our system. Can I tell you something about a system? Uh, anybody, y'all, does anybody in there have a computer? Just throw your hand up if you got a computer. Or a phone, you got a phone? Okay. <laughs> On your phone is an operating system. Okay, that's, that's what it's called, OS, right? Operating system. Every system, whether it's a church system, whether it's on my phone, whether it's on my computer, every system is built to maintain itself. That's why they have virus protection. On my computer, I don't have virus protection because my system has it built into it. That if a virus comes in and tries to change the system, it boots the, the virus out. The Pharisee, not every system is a good system. The Pharisee system was demonic. It was devilish. It was good in one season, but Jesus said, I came to fulfill that thing. So you could put the law down and live in grace. But they looked at Jesus as a virus instead of an answer. They looked at Jesus as a problem instead of the answer to the law. And so because the system couldn't handle him, they killed him. They killed him. And I, I've come this morning just on my drive here this morning. I was just so thankful that Jesus died for me. Amen. So thankful he died for me. He, he, he went to Calvary. They, went, they ripped his body to shreds. They put crown of thorns. My dad has a replica of a crown of thorns. The thorns are this long. And they didn't just set it on the person's head. They would set it on their head, and then they would take a mallet, and they would beat it. So the thorns went into the brow of the victim. Then they would take the victim, and they put him on a low stone column. And the rector is what he's called. He's the Roman guard that would take the cat of nine tails. The cat of nine tails was a whip with nine tails and in it was glass and stone and nails and they would entwine it in the rope so that when the lictor would take it and would hit his victim on that low stone column he'd hit the victim and the glass and the nails and the and the and the shards of rock would dig into the skin of the victim and he would rip away pulling the skin open on the victim i recognize this is gory but this is what he went through for me this is what he went through for me. 39 times they ripped him open. The Bible says that he was so marred, the disciples that lived with him for three and a half years couldn't even tell who he was. They put the transverse beam of the cross on his back. Now, you got a cross up here. Many people believe Many scholars believe that it didn't look exactly like this, but that it was actually the capital T and just a little bit above it. But it was heavy. It was gruesome to carry, especially for a man who just got whipped 39 times and had a crown of thorns in his head. He dragged that cross down the Via Della Rosa up to Calvary's mountain. They laid that cross on the ground and they laid the victim across the cross and they took the, the, the nails and they drove them through his hands. Not, not through his hands here because if he actually would have driven them through his hands here, it would have ripped his hands. The pressure of his body would have ripped through his hands. They actually did it right here below his hand in the wrist area where there's more muscle. And they would hang him there by his hands and then they would take his feet and they would put it on the cross and, and a lot of depictions say that they drove it through the front but actually in those days they would drive it into the back of their heels from behind the cross and on the cross was a, a, a seat it was called a sedile and it was placed just torturously enough that if the victim wanted to sit down he would suffocate and in order to not suffocate, he would have to push himself up and the pain would be excruciating through his body. And for hours he hung there. 
necessary that Christ would suffer and die. On the story would go, and he would come to the moment where it was the end. He lifted up his voice and cried, it is finished. And the Bible said that there was thunder and there was lightning in the sky and the veil of the temple was rent in two. Here's what happened. Jesus died. And as soon as Jesus gave up the ghost, access to the garden was restored. Now man, because previous to that, only the priest, only the pastor was allowed to go into the presence of God. But now Jesus died and he ripped the veil in two and now anybody, everybody can come into the presence of God. Anybody. But Jesus didn't stop there. He took his body off that cross and laid him in a tomb. I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning, but this is what separates us. This, this is what makes us not Hindu. Not Muslim or Islamic. This is what this is what makes us different than every other religion. Allah is dead. Buddha is dead. Amen. Muhammad is dead. Mahatma Gandhi dead. Amen. Mother Teresa is dead. Amen. Mary, the mother of Jesus, Amen. she's dead. Amen. Our God died. Rose again. Listen. Because there have been many people in the Bible that have died and Jesus raised them from the dead. Lazarus, yep. the young boy, Elijah sneezing on the or Elijah laying on the boy and he sneezed seven. There are many people in the Bible who died and were put in the tomb and rose again. But guess what? They all died again. Amen. There is only one man in history and one man for eternity who died, who laid in a tomb, who rose again, and who will never die again. And he is seated at the right hand places right now. That's what separates us. It was necessary that Christ would die and suffer because God was trying to get humanity back to his presence. Are you with me this morning? It was necessary. Now, now, now. He said this and that from the dead on the third day he rose up that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. One of the things that grieves me about the church of America is the lack of preaching regarding repentance and the remission of sins. We, I believe, are going to be stand before God and be judged. Because let me tell you what the apostles didn't have. The apostles had the Old Testament, the prophets and Pentateuch, Psalms, Proverbs, Kings. And they had the oral history of Jesus. But they didn't have the wisdom of Paul in Acts. That they didn't have. technology, that, that if it wasn't a Sunday morning, and if the church I pastor wasn't in church right now, and, and I went to Facebook Live, I'd probably have 30 people join me. Just like that. They, they didn't have the technology. I They probably wish they could have had the technology. But somehow, we have infinitely more tools than they ever had. Mm -hmm. And we are infinitely less effective than they are. How is that? I would tell you, we have traded resources, we have traded the source for resources. Mm -hmm. All they had was prayer, the word, and the Holy Ghost. We have Facebook, Instagram, Live stream, there's nothing against it. I, I know people that when watch you can't happen and technology, but well, this is the devil. <laughs> the devil is doing this. Yeah, the devil can use it. But I told our church a few weeks ago when we went online only during COVID, 
when I, I was pastoring one of our campuses on the east side of Columbus, and when we went online between my campus, the Columbus campus, and our other two campuses in Ohio, which were the ones we had at the time, we reached, I, I, at my campus alone, we ran about 180 at the time. At Columbus campus, we probably ran about seven or 800. Mansfield and, and Reynolds, uh, Mansfield and Springfield were about the same. We're running you know, 120, 130. On the first day, we went online only. We reached 3,500 people with the gospel. Amen. Just like that. Over the course, that's just Sunday. Over the course of that week, close to 10,000 people watched our streams across our camp. And so, to, for people to say, well, technology is the devil. Yeah, the devil can use it. But this is a tool. This is a resource in the hand of the believer. The only thing that can't happen is this cannot become the source. And, and so now we preach a gospel that is so far removed from the book of Acts that, that the American church doesn't preach the repentance and remission of sins. We preach how to be a better you. How to make, how, you know, I, I saw a pastor preach a message about how to become a millionaire in 30 days. God does not want everybody to be a millionaire. He wants you to be blessed and prosper and walk in the wealth of the kingdom of heaven. And he'll provide for you when you need it. But for some people, if they got a million dollars right now, it would ruin them. How hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Repentance and the remission of sins. It was necessary for him to die so that by repentance and remission of sins, humanity could come back to the garden where it all started. Where it all began. The repent we preach messages on, you know, how to be a better me. How to be the best me. And we, we use no scripture. We use no basis. All philosophy. Vain philosophy. I can be a better man. You know when I'm the best man I can be? When I'm dead. And not like physically dead. I mean when my flesh is dead. When I crucify me, what did Paul say in Galatians 2? I no longer live, but Christ lives through me. There's no better husband than Christ. There's no better father than Christ. There is no better pastor than Christ. There's no better leader than Christ. So I'm the best me when I'm the most like him. Amen. And that happens through repentance and remission of sins. Amen. And, and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm burdened, and I'm trying to hurry, but I'm burdened because there's this uh, there's a lack of the fear of God in the church today. Amen. Not just the church, but in America. Amen. There's a lack of the fear of the Lord. And because there came a movement in the church that we told people, you can live like hell and still go to heaven. And, and so now there's no fear of hell because they feel like they're already living what hell's going to be. It's going to be one big party, but nobody is telling them it's eternal torment. Yep. Darkness so overwhelming that you feel trapped. Fire, hell, lake of fire, weeping and gnashing of teeth. You Even a drop of water could not even satisfy how much pain and how much torment you're going to be in. I know people say, well, you're a hell brimstone preacher. Go watch my other messages. This is not how I preach normally. Amen. But I'm burdened for people in Coral Springs and in Columbus and everywhere we've got a campus. I'm burdened for people who are living like hell because pastors who have no burden have told them God's grace covers a multitude of sin. But they don't add that God's grace changes them. Because grace, oh, well, you, we live in grace, we're in the dispensation of grace. I can be however I want, do whatever I want, it's going to be all right. Read your Bible. Amen. We say, I'm not under the law anymore. That should terrify you because the law said if a man commits adultery, do not commit adultery. What did Jesus say? If a man thinketh in his heart to lust after a woman, he's already committed. Grace requires more than the law. But there's something that we have that they didn't. We have the Holy Ghost to help us live in the grace of God to the standard at which he calls us to. So then he finishes, and I'm, I'm going to try to finish. Hurry. And he said, you are witnesses. See, he said, this has got to be preached to all nations. Repentance and the remission of sins. 
You can have your sins forgiven, but you've got to repent. Jesus, uh, John came saying, I'm going to, the people came and saying, well, baptize us. Are you baptized? And he said, before I baptize you, you must show the fruit of repentance. Repentance of the remission of sin must be preached to all nations. Every nation starting in Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And then listen to what he said, verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Jesus is speaking in an Old Testament language. When he said, I'll send the promise of my Father upon you. Nowhere in the Old Testament did the Holy Spirit dwell in anybody. The Holy Spirit only came upon them. Came upon Samson. Came upon Samuel. Came upon Saul. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Moses and he prophesied. Nowhere in the scriptures will you read in the Old Testament the Spirit dwelling in anybody. So Jesus is telling them, I'm going to send the Spirit upon you. They recognize that kind of language. And then he said, tarry in Jerusalem. And, and I'm going to read it to you. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power. Until you are covered in and out with power. The, the prophets testified, prophesied. Ezekiel 36, 27, I'll put my spirit in you. They didn't know about that. So Ezekiel's prophesying of another time. I'll put my spirit in you Amen. and cause you to walk in my statutes. Thank you, Lord. So, so Jesus is saying, I'm not just going to put my spirit on you. I'm going to put my spirit in you. Amen. Uh, now here's what I want to tell you. The Holy Spirit is on me for you. Amen. He's in me for me. Amen. Thank you, Lord. He is on me to minister to you. To minister to the people, to tell the gospel, to pray for the sick and see them healed, to pray for the demoniac and see them delivered. But he is in me for me. The fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the working of the Spirit. He that begun a good work in me is faithful to perform it until it ends. So he put his Spirit on me to preach. To go out and tell the gospel, but he put it in me to live the gospel. And he tells them in Acts 1 and 8, tarry here until you receive the promise of the Father. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be witnesses to me. I'm going I'm to start landing the plane by saying this. I love being Pentecostal. I love the charismatic moving of the Holy Ghost. I love to prophesy. I love to speak in tongues. I love to see God touch people and manifest on people. I love it. I was in a service last night that went till 1030. Then I got in my car and drove two and a half hours over here to Fort Pierce. And just rehearsing in my mind, watching as we laid hands on people, the Holy Spirit moving over people, manifesting on people, God delivering people, cries of deliverance, demon, demonic spirits crying out in people in the back of the room. I was standing, I love all of that. But that's not the primary reason he gave us the Holy Spirit. He did not say you'll be endued with power and you will be tongue-talking, dancing, shouting people. Well, he said, you'll be my witnesses. Amen. So that service I was in last night, if a lost person was there, there was a witness of the Holy Ghost in the room. That God began to manifest on people. Prophetic words were released. If a lost person was in the room, there was a witness there. That wasn't the goal. The goal was to lift up Jesus. But wherever Jesus is, the Holy Ghost is. Because in John 16, he said he would testify of me. And, and so what I understand is that if all I do is get in my prayer closet and speak in tongues and huck and buck and run and dance and shout, and nobody hears the gospel message of Jesus, I have abused the Holy Spirit. Amen. He said, you'll receive power to be my witnesses. Amen. I have a friend. 
His name is uh, Joe Odin, one of the evangelists. And he came to our church back in February of last year. He tells a story of a, of a lady that he met, uh, a Muslim girl that he met in the subway. And uh, I'm going to butcher this story, but I'm going to get to the point. He basically asks her, uh, have you experienced the power of God in your life? She, of course, says no. He says, do you want to? She says, yeah. She's standing there about to make the sandwich. Check him out. He grabs her hand. He prays. Lord, let, let this girl, he said her name, experience the power of God. Let her feel your anointing. Let her feel your spirit. He said her then, grabbed the sandwich, walked away, started to walk out the doors. Just as he hit the doors, he said, I heard this blood-curdling scream. He said, I turned around to look, and this girl was on the floor in the subway kitchen, shaking under the power of the Holy Spirit. And he has so many stories like that. But I begin to wonder, where, where has the power gone? I mean, everywhere in the book, everywhere they went in the book of Acts, they came to the lame man in Acts chapter 3, and they picked, said, silver and gold have a number, such I have I give to you. Get up and walk in the name of Jesus. The Bible said immediately he got up and went about rejoicing. Immediately. And then they put him on trial. Then Acts chapter 5 and 12, the Bible said that Peter was so full of the Holy Ghost that they would bring their sick into the streets that just the shadow of Peter might cross over them and that they would be healed. In Acts chapter 9, we read of Philip going into the city and working signs, miracles, and wonders. And there was great joy in the city. There was revival that came to Samaria. What were they doing? They were being witnesses. The goal was not signs, miracles, and wonders. The goal was this signs, miracles, and wonders testify of Jesus. Signs and wonders follow them who believe in my name. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up any deadly thing. And they will not be harmed. The power has left the church because prayer has left the church. Fasting has left the church. And we have given ourselves more to our resources than we have the source. And so it was necessary that Christ would die, that humanity would come back to the garden, and the message of repentance and remission of sins would be preached. And who's going to preach it? Me. Who's going to preach it? You. How's it going to happen? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the working of miracles, signs, and wonders in our community. I say this, and I mean this with everything in me, and I mean it as real as I'm going to say it. You will reach people I will never, ever meet. You will reach people I will never, ever meet. When you receive power, you will be my witnesses. In Judea. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. I want you to stand with me for a moment as I prepare to just close us here. How many of you know somebody in your life who is lost? They don't know Jesus. Raise your hand. You know somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Raise your hand.